0: Good morning, this is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast and I am your host, Phil Coover, of Shank, Annis, Tepper, Campbell. The Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast utilizing attorneys, finance, and real estate professionals to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues, helpful descriptions of common legal and business issues in the community, and entertaining discussion. Today, we have our first Mother's Day special. So we have a long time listener, uh, listener of all of our podcasts, probably our biggest fan, my mother, is here on the show. Um, and I want to, right off the top, I want, if you think this is going to be some sort of puff piece about my mother, there might be a little bit of that, but I want to dissuade you of that notion, because uh, my mother was the director of the Decal Public Library until very recently, and she underwent a nine- to ten-year project where it was a development and a redevelopment of the current library that was probably one of the most complex uh, real estate projects that I've seen. There are no real estate developers that would not have had the appetite for this project that uh, only my mother who wanted what was best for the DeKalb Illinois community and for the DeKalb Public Library would have had The strength and tenacity to, and the vision to push this all the way through. Here we have a, I'll just give you a few highlights to, and then we'll talk about some other things, then we'll get into the discussion with with D. Coover. Is um, we had a renovation of an existing historical structure, we had a development of um, an extension to the library, they closed down a street in downtown. DeKalb, not just for the construction, but indefinitely going forward, because now there's a building on top of it. They had to purchase multiple parcels of land. They had to hire Pepper Construction. They had to bid out the construction activities and then hired Pepper Construction, so we're dealing with huge players. This is a $25 million project. They hired architects, owners' representatives, multiple sets of attorneys. They had bankers. And they uh, also had to use, in order to get this done, they had to use public grants uh, from the state of Illinois. They had to use their existing um, revenue sources. They had to use TIF financing. They had to use private loans from banks and raise private capital. And it's really almost every complexity to a real estate deal um, that you could encounter. So. We're going to get to that in just one second. Uh, But first, if you listeners are interested, you can always email us at, uh, if you want to listen to a certain topic or you have questions for one of our listeners and want to get in touch with them, email us at solutioncenter at satcltd.com or by visiting our website, realestatebreakfast.com. Uh, we should also mention that this podcast is produced by SATC Solutions Center, L3C, which is the education and development division of the law firm Shank Annis, Tepper Campbell. I'm an attorney and principal with that firm. Now, Dee Coover,
1: welcome to the show. Good morning. I am pleased to be here.
0: Well, thank you for listening to all of our podcasts. Faithfully. And, and thanks for coming on today. So you are the director of the Decal Public Library. Yes. Congratulations on your recent retirement.
1: Yes, yes. Retirement is good.
0: And uh, you heard, you were here for my introduction. Did, was that a fair? Did I hit it, the highlights? It,
1: it, it was fair. And, uh, you know, it, it, if you start a project, if I had started a project, knowing th- everything that was going to involve, I'm not sure that my knees wouldn't have uh, knocked even more than they did, but in my ignorance, I knew I needed a team of experienced people. They, Some of them were true visionaries, understood ex- everything that you had to say. Our attorneys, uh, our commercial banker, um, they all understood what was coming down the road. And we also had a building consultant at the beginning a library building consultant. So I think the the most important piece of this puzzle was putting together a team at the beginning of vastly experienced people. But I want to just start by saying um, the one of the first people I called, well the first the first Job was hiring a, an attorney who could deal with municipal, used to and experienced dealing with municipal affairs. We also had an attorney for this, uh, knowledgeable in state of Illinois, library, a base from Peoria. His name is Phil Lanzini. Our local attorney is Gary Cordes. Uh, then the next step was to. Um, Start thinking about money, and I can remember calling Frank Roberts from First National of Omaha saying, How do you get money to build a public building? And he got in the <laughs> can you imagine calling somebody and just asking that question? He got in the car and he came over, and I still have those notes. He spent several hours with me, I'm sure thinking, Well, I don't know where this is going, but we do need a library. So, uh Anyway, so, so that, that started. The other part uh, from the very beginning was to keep the, what I call them the influence makers, up to speed. So the city the city manager, city uh, uh, attorney, uh, mayor, city councilman, our representative, our senator, state senator, so that everybody knew that uh, at least the Board of Trustees of the Decal Public Library and me as their representative fully intended to build a modern library. Now where and how we are going to is a completely other story uh, and we'll get into that but we put together that team at the beginning and I can remember uh, the city manager, you know, the first uh, mayor saying, well, nobody uses libraries. So that got to the really, again, the heart of the issue was, and I have that in, you know, prominent in my notes, why libraries and why this library? So we had to do that educational piece, again, simultaneously throughout the, the whole project so that pe- it, people understood and that real estate downturn. We're talking about building a public building. So, uh, Phil, I don't know where you want me to okay. to, to get started. Well, I think that,
0: that is a good place to get started. I wanted you to come on the show for multiple reasons, but uh, one that I think is interesting part angle to it is that a lot of us that are listening are in the real estate industry, but every business has some sort of real estate needs. And every business um, has to identify space to lease, space to own, has really some sort of crossover with the real estate field. And here you have a librarian by trade who's been charged with uh, being being the director of the DeKalb Public Library. And then you had to, and you knew that the existing facility was going to be uh, unable to carry it for carry the DeKalb Library forward for the next hundred years. It done a great job for the first hundred years, but you just you made a decision that you had, it had to expand. it had to be improved it had, or there had to be a new one. And so you were put in a position where you had to deal with real estate. And so yes. I, I like that you surrounded yourself with uh, a competent team. You had some extremely good legal assistance. I think that that's going to be a critical part of your team. Obviously, I feel that way. It was absolutely critical. Um, But also you had a a banker, Frank Roberts, First National of Nebraska, the largest privately owned bank in the country, uh, who took, uh, I deal with bankers quite a bit, and so I know that they're very thoughtful and um, can be a great resource. I'm glad that you got that opportunity to work to have a resource like that, people might think of bankers what they think, to sit around and you know do what they do at the bank, but here you had somebody who was a, a resource, somebody you could call upon and ask for advice, ask for questions, it wouldn't just help you with their specific niche of slice of what sort of funding the bank was gonna That's be, right. because they wanted your entire project to succeed uh, so that their funding would work out well, but they were able to help you through all of the sort of financial issues and be a partner with you.
1: That's, a, that's absolutely right. And in fact, let me just, we, we can, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but when we get down to the money, then uh, three of the local banks, locally owned banks, each loaned us a million dollars. And that that became our money that we had to repay. But uh, I want to give credit then to Mike Cullen and to Richard Katz also, but Frank Roberts, was uh, president of those banks. But again, banks don't loan money just because you go in and say, I have a good idea. Right. So th- this, again, was long-term um, planning and uh, it, Back to the complexity of this of this project, the current building that we we are, were in is 19,500 square feet, um, and it's on the National Register of Historic Buildings. So. Uh, there are limits as to what you can do with it. And that was a very interesting meeting, again, right at the beginning when we were thinking about this, when we went to Springfield. uh, The city manager, assistant city manager, uh, me, the president of the board of trustees, our building consultant, and said we want an architect to say we're going to we want to add on to this building when we finally decide we're going to add on, and there they, they had they had not issues, but there there main concept was, you, they wanted our beautiful, beautiful, beautiful building, one of a kind, to remain as an architectural entity, that people would always see it as an entity in itself. And when we added on a sympathetic addition, there's that lobby that separates them. As, 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 so the new is very different from the old. So that was another complexity I wanted to throw in there.
0: Certainly, and it's an important one. So you have an existing historical structure, you need to expand. And we were landlocked.
1: You have have nowhere to go. By equally important historical churches. So there was literally no place to go. We were a mortuary on one side, uh, a, uh, an over 120-year-old church next to us, another 120-year-old church, on the other side of us, and then a street. So there literally was no place to expand the building. So we looked at many pieces of property. And when when a word gets out that you're thinking about building, people come to you with their property that they would like to interest you and the board listened and we looked at many pieces of property. Simultaneously, the board, we were looking at other libraries in the suburban areas. Uh, But we looked at many pieces of property, but we had to decide whether we were going to stay downtown or whether we were going to move outside of town because eventually, libraries are very hard to build. They have to be at 150 pounds per square foot and no other building needs that kind of weight support. Uh, Interesting. So, yeah, it was. It was all just fascinating, Phil. So we had to, we looked at land, uh, cornfields, DeKalb is surrounded by cornfields. We have ample amount of those. Ample amount of cornfields. And this was in the downturn of the economy. So we probably could have got land cheap. But again, then the library board owned this building from 1930, uh, so what would we have done with that? So we, anyway, we, we looked at multiple, multiple, multiple pieces of property uh, for um, a freestanding building. And then a local developer came to us and said, really walked into the library one day and said, Well known developer and said that he had uh, submitted plans 20 years ago to build high end condominiums around the library. And would we be interested in, um, if he could put together the properties surrounding the library, uh, would we be interested in an expansion? So that That brought us back to ground zero and uh, this is probably a year into the project where oh my gosh well maybe we should think about expansion and then we have to think about closing a street because the big expense in public entities is staffing so if you have one build our old beautiful building here and you have the new building across the street and you have uh, a passageway across you've doubled your staff and especially during the downturn of the economy we were interested in saving staff money for staff building a high-end high-tech building where we could encompass new technologies to save on staff we sure didn't want to duplicate staff so we couldn't go over we couldn't go under we would have had to close a street so that became then our new way of thinking could we make this work
0: so Skip ahead a step. Sure, uh, you're going to buy the parcel of land, which is an existing parking lot across the street, Right. and then develop across on that on that parking lot and across the street. So, what did you have to do to purchase that property and to um, develop, close down that street and develop on that street?
1: Well, if you can imagine.
0: Hold on, before I inter- <laughs> not to interrupt you, but does the city own the street? Do you have to city buy the parcel from the city?
1: It, we had to get permission from planning, the planning and zoning and then city council to close the street. But underneath the street, especially in an old street, and you're in... Uh, a metropolitan area, but you know what? It's a busy world underneath streets. It's sanitary lines, it's uh, yeah. water lines, it's gas mains, and then electricity. We still had electricity Especially lines in above. There's Especially in under Chicago, there's
0: parking on the street. There's streets under That's streets. True. That's true. And then there's that there's water systems right. under streets. I don't know if you but remember we when that water broke. Like oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, and Ellen a huge flooded by flood like Marshall
1: Fields. And yes, I've forgotten that. But anyway, so we had to get permission, start talking to all of these other entities, separate taxing entities, sanitary district, uh, the etc. cetera. The, and in fact, uh, I can remember one day. Um, uh, Frontier Communications now, but it, you know the the technology lines. Um, their hub was a block away, and I can remember them coming in. Uh, the engineers from National Frontier with their plans all rolled up, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, we're 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 looking at closing." Uh, you know second and third anyway you know the public doesn't need to know that and they burst out laughing they said oh we were worried you were going to close the other one because it's impossible and even Pepper Construction said when they got down underneath it was like threading uh, a needle to get new sanitary lines, new water Mm -hmm. main lines, all of that we had to do all of that to close the street but you're right okay so back to buying land. The library in 1930 didn't even have a parking lot so we were leasing the parking lot owned by the mortuary which was across the street so the mortuary was all in favor uh, of it and spoke uh, before planning and zoning but he sure didn't want to give up his parking lot so we had to agree to Build him a new parking lot, which you know, fares fair, but that meant buying two more pieces of property across the street for him to have his parking lot, etc. So we we ended up buying a lot of pieces of property, putting together um, one one continuous piece. Uh, we also then had to meet new planning and zoning regulations for the amount of parking places so we had to buy two more pieces of property uh, to create more parking and we still didn't quite make the planning and zoning requirements for uh, the amount of parking for staff and uh, our library has over a 1,000 people a day come through it, so we didn't have enough parking. But we ended up getting a variance from planning and zoning uh, for for the remaining parking. But uh, that was a, an extremely complex land purchase and it, all the pieces had to be sold simultaneously and then purchased simultaneously. It was, um, that was one where I just sat back and let the attorneys uh, do their
0: business. Sure. So where did you get the funds to purchase, where does a public entity like the library get the funds to purchase multiple pieces of property?
1: Well, uh, over the course of many years and many frugal librarians always worried about the boiler going or the roof going because it was an old building, uh, we had saved several hundred thousand dollars. We also had a bequest of $50,000. So that gets us to, that was a million dollar purchase plus soft costs, attorney's fees, et cetera. So that got us to roughly, you know, let's say half, to, um, half um, a third to a half of it. So I'm going to talk about TIF financing now. That we had two kinds of TIF financing eventually.
0: Short for tax increment financing. Yes.
1: and this stuff sounds really boring until you need it until you need it (laughs) and you understand it but anyway uh, the TIF district for downtown the downtown area had expired two or three years previous to this and the carrot for the taxing entities of which the library is one was that half of the new TIF money would be declared surplus, that we could be used in any way. So instead of that money all going to the city, once a year we got a check from the city for, for half of the amount of tax dollars, et cetera. Till we won't go into TIF right now. But anyway, so when uh, I went to the bank and said, we can put this together. Now, he, he knew all this was happening. It wasn't as if, you know, this came as a surprise. But we, 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 I would like to declare that TIF surplus as our revenue stream to pay this off. We can pay you uh, roughly 600000 in TIF surplus over the course of 10 years, and then we'll pay the rest now. So we wrote a letter to or we drew drew up a contract to that effect and that came back into play then later when we wrote this grant and uh, when we get into that that became a very important part of the local matching for the state grant was the fact that we had Purchased this property, and we had a separate revenue stream to pay for it that we wouldn't have to go to the to the citizens to tax them for that. So that became they accept the state of Illinois accepted that as um,
0: collateral.
1: As, as collateral. So that right. that was very interesting.
0: Yeah. Or actually, probably the bank that lends you you money accepted that as collateral. Yes. The state accepted that as the yes. matching yes. program. Yes. So TIF financing, just real generally, is where a local municipality will, as an incentive to entice businesses to come to a certain area, usually they're downtown, they'll give them a break on taxes, or give yes. them, there's different ways to structure it, it could also be a special service area, but where they'll give them money, give the businesses money back if they invest in the downtown area. So here, very clever idea, what you've done is to say, look, we're gonna get money from the local municipality This because we're in the TIF area, and you bank, if you lend me X amount of dollars, uh, I will agree to assign this revenue stream yes. that I have from the local municipality to bank, so you know you're gonna get it. Yes. It's like government bonds yes. almost at that point, because you know it's gonna be coming from the government, the local municipality, uh, in order to pay you back, and then you get your money back. The city has accomplished its objective of uh, increasing development in this area, which is the whole point of the TIF, and, then, and now, The library has the parcels of property to move forward. And then we were able to
1: leverage that for this matching grant from the state of Illinois,
0: too. Right. Which is the bigger project. So now you own the real estate necessary to do the development. And at this point, you've decided okay, you're going to move forward with the. Trying to get the building up and up and running. Right. So at this point, when you've purchased the real estate, have you bid out for the construction? No, no, people? No, 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 because
1: okay. because what's the point? Uh, if you the, don't have uh, the own uh, property, uh, all of all of those uh, entities um, are interested in getting paid. And at this point, we don't have the money to build a building. We have we have now purchased land, and uh, but. Coincidentally, that's the wrong word, simultaneously, the state of Illinois, in a very, very, very large bond issuance, um, had declared, of the millions of dollars in bonds, had declared $50 million of it for libraries to renovate rehab buildings. If a tornado had struck, et cetera, there would be money. Okay. So there was a very elaborate formula, very, very, very complex grant application. Uh, the grant application got stalled because there was a lawsuit against the state of Illinois for the money. But anyway, time passed and while we're, while we're really serious about this building, all of a sudden the money is released. And so uh, we were prepared. So I gathered a group of five people from the library staff and we spent a year, one year, writing this grant because there was a formula. Every library in the state was, at, was eligible. I take that back. Chicago Public Library, of the $50 million, Chicago Public Library got $10 million off the top. There was $40 million left for the entire state of Illinois public libraries. But there was a formula. And every library was eligible for a formula to for this. And our library, you know, if we were successful, we were eligible for eleven point six million dollars. That's big money.
0: It's huge. It's huge. Huge so, money.
1: So I took it as huge and uh, serious seriously approached it so I gathered five people from the library staff including all three tech guys because this was going to be a very libraries are very high tech and we worked two hours in the morning two hours in the afternoon and every single day five days a week for a year and in fact the, the three IT guys were so worried about sending it via it was too big to send uh, electronically, they drove it down to Springfield. That was one of the three trips we made to Springfield. They, they drove the grant down. Anyway, time passed and we, we got $11.6 million. And Jesse White came to the DeKalb Public Library with the big check, the photo op. So we got yeah. more than anybody else day. in the state, yes. And it was a, a question of need a question of um, um, preserving this incredibly beautiful building. So, um, and then building a very, very high tech building. Uh, so, uh, I know, Phil, you once asked me if we increased the staff. Well, the answer was no, we didn't increase the staff because we embraced technology in all of its formats. Uh, and in fact, to watch them repair the uh, the heating and air conditioning. Uh, you know, we had a 1964 boiler, and the handyman would go down and give it a kick. And you know, what they called it the Christmas Eve miracle one one year when some part died, and the guy at the warehouse said, "You know, I think there's a box way in the back room, maybe that has one." We called that the Christmas Eve miracle. But anyway, now they bring their laptops to a table to repair and you know, adjust the heating. Amazing. Uh, it is amazing. Yeah. If I should want to adjust the heating from my home, I could do it. I have no desire to do that. But anyway, so we were able to save on energy use the same amount of staff to serve the public now instead of checking books in and out. I mean, libraries are not nice old ladies checking out books to other nice old ladies anymore. That's
0: yeah, not what libraries are about. I mean, about. I know it's a little bit off topic, but we can spend a minute talking about yes. this, is the misconception of what libraries are. Yes. I think that there are a lot of young and... Uh, older professionals right now that haven't been to a library in twenty years and they remember what libraries were 10, yes. twenty years ago, but they're wildly different places, especially with the new higher tech, forward thinking library that you've yes. developed. Um, it's it's just it's a place to meet. It's a place to utilize technology. You guys have uh, multiple huge terminal rooms. You have many meeting rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean that's actually that's really a huge part of where business is going right now is I need a place to meet yes. with 10 to 50 people yes. that where we can bring our laptops in, where we can throw um, a presentation up on the board, where people can be communicating, people can be yes. emailing things out, and where we can discuss what our next project is I and mean, that's where our business is going and there's a lot of, businesses that don't have those rooms available to them, so you have small businesses that need those places. Where are you gonna find that place? Where are you gonna find it at the library?
1: We, we and, and we, that, that is exactly how we built our library. We also have 3D printers. Uh, 3D printers are becoming essentially commonplace, but DeKalb now has 62, over 62% of its children are now in free and reduced price lunches. These kids don't have 3D printers at home, Uh, but the library does. So we're teaching 3D printing, we're teaching coding, Uh, all of this is technology. And uh, we had a young uh, architecture student come through uh, once and she said, you know, back when I was in uh, architecture school, we had to go to the wood shop and make our models—it's all 3D printing now. So uh, we have—we also have study rooms where you know somebody, and then a pre, you can make your presentation. You can use your 3D printer. Then we have, um, uh, well, you know, a voice over Internet Protocol, but uh, not just VoIP, but uh, where you could make your presentation worldwide. You could do a presentation worldwide with, and you've done everything at the library uh, to make the, make it including the presentation. So we were really, libraries are about information and the delivery of information in whatever format the current methodology is.
0: Yeah, right. 150 years ago, the only format to deliver it was a hard bound book. That's right. But now there's That's multiple right. ways to deliver yes. it and access information. Yes. Um, I know that you could talk about libraries all yeah, day. Yeah,
1: right, don't get me started, right, right.
0: It's important to note for the color of the story, but I want to bring you back to your yes, $11.6 yes, million yes, that you kind of yes, glossed yes, over. Yes, yes, okay. Uh, so you had to raise, this project in total with everything is about $24, 25000000 yeah, mm-hmm, that's and correct. And so you had to raise um, quite a bulk of that for the development of the existing building. And some would say that this state of Illinois was, uh, Grant program was it was lucky. I wouldn't call it luck. Maybe there was it was fortuitous is, is the word you use. But you had to write for a year to yes. put it together. Yes. You had multiple staff people working on it. Yes. It reminds me of a quote that you always said about Mike. I think it was Michael Jordan who always said if this is such God-given talent. Why am I in the gym eight hours a day? Right. So I mean, you have in life. Your organization, or as a person, is going to have opportunities. Some people will say, "Oh, that person just got lucky," but I like to think of it as an opportunity arose, and the person was uh, had prepared themselves in such a way to capitalize on that opportunity.
1: And, and we we were prepared but uh, that's the wrong word. We we were uh, we knew at some point everything would come into play. One of the issues you haven't discussed on your podcast, I don't think yet, is. Uh, We had to do soil samples. We had to have an archeologist uh, go over the property, uh, say there probably wasn't uh, an Indian gathering there, or we had to have EPA uh, approval. We had to have, uh, you know, so we had, part of this grant was also doing all of that prep work. Yes, you know, let's, let's not pretend, but let's plan that we are actually going to build a building here. Let, and let, they wanted you to have done all of that work before they were even going to take you seriously uh, for 11.6 million dollars. So we had the archeologist uh, go over the property. We had the EPA uh, go over the property. We had, uh, you know, that we weren't on a floodplain. You know, we, so we had done all of that prep work and the soil soil borings. Who knew there were soil engineers, and you have to advertise for soil engineers. I mean, all of it was fascinating and interesting. But this grant required you to go through all of the steps for building a building before you could even submit it. Do the the narrative of why you wanted it, and then you had to uh, do energy calculations, etc. So by this time, uh, we we the board had investigated. Uh, eight different uh, architectural firms, been to uh, multiple libraries to see what their work Um, and again everything was vetted so for example uh, we would go to a library and after everything was wonderful and we would come home and I would call the director uh, my reference librarian would call the head of reference uh, the handyman would call the handyman Uh, so we would go through each each department level and say, how do, how, do, how do you like your building? I mean, tell me the truth. How do you really like the building? Right. And when the handyman says, you know, there are 100 different light bulbs I have to store, you, you think, well, we probably don't want to do that. Yeah. So anyway, we by this time, by the time of the grant, the board had decided and, and hired an architectural firm. So we... What architects did you use? We used Nagel Hartray Architecture Front Actually, right down here, I think they're on whacker um, and we they did their preliminary sketches and then we had them priced uh, again independently of the architectural firm uh, so we we knew pretty much what the basic footprint was going to be before we could submit the grant so Instead of having multiple, uh, because of the time constraints, we had to decide upfront what our footprint was going to be and how, how the building was going to look. The board was very adamant that they didn't want, um, they wanted a sympathetic addition to this uh, 1930 Art Deco building. Uh, so even though we hadn't decided whether it was going to be Indiana limestone or concrete, the, the footprint was there and pretty much what it was going to look like. Uh, but we had to cut the building. Uh, libraries are built to, uh, m- huge libraries are built to the standard of two square feet per citizen. Hmm. Uh, and, but we had a building consultant who did a building program, etc. And the total square feet came to 90,000 square feet. Well, we had 19,500 square feet. That would be an enormous lot. That library. would be enormous. And so we cut it, the board cut it to 60,000 square feet. And again, all the different entities had to agree that that, that cost estimate then for 60,000 square feet would probably work. So, Anyway, so time passed, we had done this grant, the grinding the grant took, took money too, uh, because we had to pay the architects, pay the soil samples, pay the, uh, all yeah. of that.
0: I, You know, when we're preparing for this, I was trying to think if we could go through this chronologically, and you can do it somewhat chronologically or in a systematic, like how do you develop a, a library and you in trying to plan out the steps, but there are so many steps and you have to do, and all of them, are either working simultaneously, yes. or some can't go until the other goes, yes. but some have to be going yes. at the same time as the other yes. one. So it's really um, a constantly moving picture.
1: It was. It was like juggling.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Um, so you you hire the architectural firm Nagel Hartray. I think they did the Oak Park Library too. They did. They. Mm-hmm. They Ebenston. do great work. Very mm-hmm. in, very interesting buildings.
1: In Oak Park, they closed a the street too.
0: Okay. So
1: and that that I mean, so they, they they knew that. I mean, they'd gone through that because it's it is a controversial decision. So they
0: had experience with that. Yes. Um, and so, one of the other things that you had to do was get approval from city, yes, from local municipalities, yes. and zoning, and everything like that. Do you have any advice for real estate developers, owners? Uh, and how to engage in that process. Uh,
1: again, nobody pays attention to planning and zoning in their community, right? But it turns out these are volunteers. They are extremely knowledgeable. Uh, they have the, the good of the city entity, the whole entity, as their mission. So they know all these codes. Uh, one of my, again, funny memories is um, to when we were talking about the parking and to get the code books, uh, the municipal code, UDO, Unified Development Ordinance, and have our attorney be going through them. And when he finally got them and got the maps, well, you would have thought it was like a little boy with a Christmas present. He was so excited to look at this because (laughs) it's the meaning. I mean, you have to get down to that that grass level, ground level, to understand, oh my gosh, we're gonna to have to buy more land, uh, can we get a variance, all those kinds of things, and this is the, where I was so ignorant to begin with. Uh, again, simultaneously with everything, starting in 2007 when the board did this, every Friday night I had a tour of the library after the library was closed, called the nooks and Crannies Tour. So it was for the public. We had banners hanging on the outside of the library. We sent out flyers, all that kind of stuff. But I also invited uh, members of the city council, our state representative, our state senator, the elected officials, park districts. You know, to in other words, to get to have people come through the building, go through the working conditions, go through the boiler room, go through everything. So it didn't come as a surprise that we needed more space to do what we wanted to do so we had to have a vision of what we wanted to do but our current space couldn't do it so i usually had an it guy one of our three full-time it guys go with me because they would talk about trying to drill through 18 inches of Limestone to run wires to put a computer in. If somebody, you know, you couldn't even move a desk because you had to move a computer. So you'd hear them groan if you talked about moving a computer. Uh, So all during all this time, every Friday night, I was giving tours. Now I wasn't politicking the the planning and zoning or politicking city council. I was just giving everybody in the community an opportunity to understand what we were talking about. So. Uh, when and before we went to planning and zoning we we brought the police department in we brought the fire department in um, who else would a sanitary district in to see what we were doing to start looking at the plans so the police could sign off on it the fire department could sign off on it uh, um, I'm trying to think uh, you know the curse uh, the the um, management of the city, so that everybody knew what was happening. So by the time we got to planning and zoning, uh, well, we had...
0: Very, before you get to planning yeah, and zoning, there's a lot of very intelligent, very um, smart legwork to do to familiarize the public and get everyone comfortable yes. with the idea uh, before you seek the authority of the local municipality. Here, here was municipality. another wrinkle.
1: In 1925... Jacob Hage, who was one of the barbed wire barons. Barbed wire was invented in DeKalb, Illinois.
0: We're very proud of it.
1: We are very proud of it. Our, our, our high school team is the barbs. That's right. Uh, our mascot is Barbie Crow. I mean, it, it is uh, all pervasive, so, so to speak. Anyway, when he died in 1925, he died without any children. He left money for a hospital and a library, and the average Carnegie building at the turn of the century cost $10,000. Jacob H. left in 1925 $150,000 to build a library. They had five years to build it. Uh, what I'm getting at is the city of DeKalb had never spent any tax money to build a library. Jacob Hayes had given it all. So when we come to the big piece of putting together the whole piece, we still were only asking the city for $6 million in municipal bonds. So to build a library, and it would be a 60,000 square foot library that ended up, they were still only spending $6 million in municipal bonds. So we we ended up presenting a bargain to planning and zoning and then city council. So I think we had two hearings at planning and zoning then two hearings at city council, and everything passed unanimously. Both planning and zoning, city council, everything passed unanimously. But none of it was triggered until we had the money. So the trigger then was when we actually got the grant from the state of Illinois. Then the city had made us uh, an offer of what they would do. The banks had made their offer um, that they would come up with the $3 million that was left over, uh, left to to raise, and that we would then do uh, private fundraising to pay the banks back. But it, it um, by the time we actually got all of the permissions, we were only waiting for the state of Illinois then to, and if they gave us less than 11.6, the project was off the table. We, we were not coming to the taxpayers then to make that up. We we were presenting a package deal to the the taxpayers that we would raise, essentially, most of the money outside of the tax dollar.
0: So let's talk about that fundraising for a second. And you did just right there, but so you need to raise 24 million
2: at this point, Mm -hmm.
0: because at this point you've already spent the million on Mm -hmm. the new property and some Mm -hmm. soft costs. And so, you know, I've seen as a young professional, you see fundraisers. People are on boards of different charities. You see people trying to do fundraising. You might have an event. Uh, you might set up a GoFundMe page. You might do a gala if you're really mm-hmm. doing it. But here, the, the, the funds raised there are relatively small compared to what you're doing. You're, so now, you're not only a librarian, but now you're a real estate developer and you're a fundraiser yes. uh, for a not-for-profit, for a public entity. Um, and you're fundraising $24 million. So you, you have wind of this Illinois grant, yes. so you're working on the grant, and then you know that you're gonna approach the city about getting some yes. public funding. Um, where did the, how did this all come about? Well, where is the, how did you identify all these different sources, and then you're also going to be asking for private contributions, yes. of course. Because there's a lot of people in the community that want to give to yes. this, that believe in this project, and
1: many were were true visionaries, knew what a library could do for the community. So,
0: how did you come up with the uh, the mathematical structure to make this work, though?
1: Again, a lot of it was simultaneous. Yeah, I mean, there's just no doubt about it. But I, I certainly had to just talk to the city manager, mayor, uh, and just say, if you know that this is what's happening here, what can we expect from TIF? Regular TIF. What can we expect from municipal bonds and municipal bonds? And that's why we had to have an attorney very, very, uh, very uh, specialized, because the city, you know, what was the term? Uh, ladders. Their their bonding issues. So they had, there were, they had some bonds that they could give us in one fiscal year but not in another fiscal year. So everything had to be the the stars had to be aligned. But but I had to, you know they knew all this and again part of putting together that team was a team of people who were really pros at all this, so when I went to the city manager and to talk about municipal bonds, he knew right away how where he was in the overall scheme of things, and he also knew in the back of his head what other public projects are coming down the pike that he's going to have to save his municipal bonds bonding authority for so the library couldn't uh, we can't we're a taxing end, entity, but we we're not, we can't uh, bond. So we had to go to the city and use their bonding authority. Interesting. Interesting. I, 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 I wanted to throw something out here. Sorry, Yeah, Bill. please. No, Sorry. go for it. Um, mayor Daley, uh, second Mayor Daley, the one who just retired, uh, built more libraries in the city of Chicago than any mayor in the history of the United States. Wow. So during one of his many goodbye talks, I had an opportunity to ask him that question, and it was a very uh, softball question, the fact that he loved and my question was, Mayor Daly, you have built more public libraries than any mayor in the history of the United States, why? And he said, two reasons, one, you immediately improve that neighborhood, it's a safe spot, it's well lit, there are professionals running it, it's usually open seven days a week, and it, you You have immediately improved the security and the property values of that neighborhood. The second piece of sure. it is you give somebody a library card and they're in charge of th- their own education doesn't matter if they're a child it doesn't matter if they're an immigrant, etc and This is the basic. Uh, push of modern libraries, too, is workforce development and that's what Andrew Carnegie, uh, he built thousands of libraries for immigrants to come, be able to take classes in English, learn technology, et cetera. So Mayor Daly was kind of the modern uh, version of <coughs> Andrew Carnegie and uh, that, that visionary look at what a library can do, uh, you see right here in your own city of
0: Chicago. Oh. That's a great anecdote. Thanks for isn't sharing. It, that. Isn't that great? Yeah. And you know, it goes back to a lot of your points about um, the value of a library in this day and age. So, you you get the grant from the state of Illinois. You're working on that. You get the financing from municipal bonds, and then you need to raise private capital. Yes. And luckily, you've been talking to some of your local bankers who are interested in the project along the way. How was that experience working with the the local bankers?
1: Oh, it was wonderful. Again, we have true... You had to be a visionary. But all three of these bankers came in and each loaned us a million dollars. And I'm very proud of that. I'm as proud of that as I am anything else because they don't just loan it to you because you say... Wouldn't this be nice? Right. I mean you had they had to look at our books, they had to uh, you know, examine the long term viability. Especially of in the this vibration. environment. I mean this, you're talking about going right during,
0: through the recession. It, we are a lot of extra bank regulations. The banks right. are extremely cautious, they've been beat up for years about yes. giving money too easily. So now you're in a situation where you need some commercial financing from these private banks. And uh, it's right at the point in time when everyone in the world is wondering if they should be giving money to real estate. That's retail. right.
1: So I am as proud of that as I am of the $11.6 million grant and that's why I want to make sure that the banks get, you know, they, 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 they don't take risks. I mean, they, because they have regulations that don't allow them to. So that, that was very important. So then-
0: It kind it, of validates the project right
1: it did it did it absolutely validated the project then we um it turns out that uh fundraising is an art and a science with a body of knowledge and there are specialists in fundraising
0: yeah you introduced yes. me to your fundraising specialist yes. That was a fascinating lunch we it shared is. with them just talking about how you go about raising funds for not-for-profits and for charities and for this case a governmental entity it was uh it's fascinating to hear
1: Yes, it is. So, so again, part of the team to bring in somebody who could advise you, and um, we raised three million dollars. Uh, we still need to raise a little bit more. The library needs to raise a little bit more to cover costs. But basically, the community, especially in a very poor community, so our clientele are not um, are are based on people who don't have kids who don't have a printer at home, and they come into the library with their little dime clutched in their hand, hot, uh, to print a copy, uh, a picture of a lion for a report or something. And uh, a dollar from them is capacity. So we really had to, we went to all the businesses, we went to individuals, uh, and a lot of it was one-on-one uh, picking up the phone can you come over and can I give you a tour can I introduce you to this project can I introduce you to the architects uh, you know, uh, so it, it started and then, then um, people became interested as one donor said she, you know, people would say uh, what are you doing these days and she, she would say well I'm involved in the library we're building a new library have you been there Uh, So word-of-mouth spread that people were contributing to the library. Uh, It was very moving, and almost everybody who gave money, whether it was at the $10 level or at the $150,000 level, they had a story about what a library had meant to them someplace. Whether it was reading a book as a child. I had one woman tell me that when uh, her kids were little, uh, she would get uh, new, newish books from the public library, wrap them in wrapping paper, and give them to the kids on Christmas morning, as well as other things, but the, the library books were part of it, and, so, and you get to keep these for two weeks, and then we can go get more. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, so everybody had a story about what a library had meant to them, and it was very moving. To uh, to
0: hear these stories. So uh, it was very moving. I-, I loved hearing about it at the opening ceremony. You had a couple speakers come up and talk about um, adults, two adults uh, that had become literate yes. uh, at later stages in life. Uh, one at different stages than the other, but they were they were very moving stories so let's talk about your team for a second because now we've had if you total up the team we have two attorneys we have your general counsel gary Cortis, phil anzini your library counsel. you have your three private bankers um you have
1: uh the architects, architects are on board.
0: who are guiding you through this you have the board the library board, of course, who's helping you through the process. And then we haven't even talked about Pepper Construction, the, uh, the giant who's d- actually going to build this building. Yes.
1: We have to decide how, it's called project delivery method. You don't just say how you build a building, you, you have to learn the, the language. Right. Project That's delivery 90% method. 90% of both yes. law and real yes. estate is learning yes. the lingo. Yes, yes. So we had to decide how to build this complex building because we're adding on and we're rehabilitating a building that's on the national register which means that there are other eyes looking at uh, that you're not going to ruin this structure. So um, we interviewed, uh, uh, we the board decided to investigate and we interviewed for uh, an owner's representative. Right. And an owner's representative uh, it works for the owner, but is the, uh, the the conduit between the architects, the owner, and the construction manager, so that he only worked, so he conducted all the meetings. So for a, a fraction of the price, uh, I mean, as the architect said, will happily. Take over and spend all your money too. Pepper Construction said we we can do it all too. I mean they didn't say it in these words, but to then but to hire somebody else at this point the board didn't understand. I didn't. None of us understood at that point why you would hire somebody else to be that intermediary. And it turned out to be one of the wisest, if not the wisest decision we ever made, because the architects just did their their thing. and then we hired a construction manager and everything was out to put out to bid. Uh, so we had many firms here. and again, this is at 2008, 2009, 2010. Everybody wants work. So all of the big teams, are applying for this job in DeKalb, Illinois, and at the same time or shortly thereafter, I think Pepper gets Wrigley Field. And I said, you know, well that's only because you're doing the DeKalb Public Library. That's uh, probably right. What got right, in there. right, right. <laughs> but um, but so we for two years build out, we sat around the table and our owner's rep, Graham Harwood, uh, from Owner they just changed the name, I'm gonna for Owner Services. Uh, led the meeting, and he would do, he, at this point, he did all the cost analysis and would conduct the, the meeting, and it was fascinating to see these fine brains work out problems, because the architects and Pepper Construction saw one problem a year ahead of time, and it was, how are they going to get this incredibly these two b- boilers, wrong word, heating units, one was going on top of the new building, the other was going in the basement of the old building, and how are they going to get that in there? Well, there was a lot of talk about, macho talk, well, we'll, we'll just saw a hole in the, the floor and drop it through. And, you know, anyway, but uh, for a year, they planned how to get this unit. Both of them are as big as a, a railway car yeah and uh, so the one that went on top of the new building was no oh my goodness we had more cranes it was fascinating but anyway to put that one up but getting that and so every week they would continue to come back to this problem and uh, of course all, all everything had been bit out by this time we knew who was building it and eventually it got built smaller and smaller and smaller and in pieces and in fact they even made a mock-up and brought the mock-up through, and it was it, so. That's what I meant about problem solving. And Graham led this team through. So there was never a crossword. There was never any fighting. Um, problems were solved ahead of time, or um, I mean, we had one problem I can talk about at the end. But that to that was it was because it was such a complex problem, you know, issue to attach seamlessly to the passerby. As the State um, Archite- Historical Society said, an architect is always gonna be able to tell the old from the new. But for the, the, the passerby to see a seamless entity right. that looks like it's always so been
0: there. Right. Continuity.
1: We also are a lead silver building, so that was another big
0: decision. Um, hold on to that for one second, but I just think it's interesting. When you're building a building is that you can hire these owners' representatives. Yes. And that is they represent the owner yes. and the owner's interests. Yes. And so the nice thing about that is if you're an owner and you don't know anything about building buildings and the construction and financing and... Um, aspects of it so you can hire these owners representatives whose job it is is to orchestrate this project Absolutely. to watch out so when somebody says oh this product's not available, we have to do a change order, it's gonna cost you an extra $100,000, that owner's rep can step in and say, well, there is this third alternative, which is only $25,000, and let's, maybe we can do a change or, order for that, or, can or, try to save you some or money. Or it came
1: from the owner's rep, no, we're not doing that.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. Right, right. right. And so it right. takes the burden off of the owner of making some of these hard decisions, or, because mm-hmm. sometimes if you have an architect or a construction company push at you to do this, change order is going to cost a whole lot of money, you don't have the knowledge or expertise to be able to tell them no. Um, It's like going to a mechanic and the mechanic says you need the new timing belt and you say well, you know, I guess go ahead and and order that part, is you need somebody who has that knowledge and expertise to be able Mm -hmm. to push back on certain things. Um, it, it
1: was it was a, a
0: wonderful investment of money, and we
1: did have a problem at the end. Um, f- the flooring failed. Let's just say that, uh, and you know who who takes who who who's going to solve that one? Was it the architect's responsibility, because they specced it? Was it the subcontractor because Pepper was the construction manager at risk so all the sub they held all the subcontracts so is it pepper's responsibility and you know i'm on the floor with a magnifying glass you know saying
0: i'm sure you were that
1: can you see where where this rub rub, you know this rolls on the floor and is wearing it down the building's brand new no this won't do so the owner's rep then comes in at that point and he called the flooring manufacturer Uh, they came out from new york I mean, they looked at the floor, long story short, even though I also brought in the attorneys, our attorneys, and said, this is what's happening in case it gets down, down the pipe. But the owner's rep was the one then who called in the flooring manufacturer to say, what are you going to do about this?" So it turned out to be a tremendous and uh, wonderful use of of money. There's nobody on the library. We had an engineer on the Board of Trustees, but I mean, he's a volunteer. I mean, he's not going to be spending full time going over every detail of the building. Right, right.
0: Right. Yeah, it's not, you couldn't expect that. Well, tell us about being a lead silver building.
1: Uh, that was another big decision that the board had to make was do, do we b- build a sustainable building we all agreed on that but then do we pay the extra money to be lead sil- Silver certified and your building that we're in now has a big plaque down below lead Silver because uh, and the board decided and I certainly agreed with that you can say you're sustainable until you're blue in the face but unless you have proof and that was very important for fundraising. Many people are very concerned that public buildings be um, ahead of the curve, be an influencer in their community to to show what being sustainable is. All of our our landscape is uh, native trees, um, uh, native grasses, we don't use any chemical fertilizers, uh, anything like that. Uh, So it's a sustainable building inside and out.
0: Well, um, Pepper Construction built the, finished the building. It's they did the new building first, and then they renovated the existing structure. And you had the grand opening, and then the grandeur opening. Yes. yes. And uh, it was it was a wonderful opening ceremony. And it is truly I would encourage anybody for the Calvary area to go take a look at it. It's a beautiful building, um, and it is extremely functional. So yes and it is lead silver and very efficient. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about the actual project? There's a couple other things I want to touch on
1: um, uh, in
0: terms of you personally.
1: Oh, oh Phil, uh, thank you very much. But let, let me just uh, quickly review, um, I, I, I think we've covered the highlights. Uh, again, anybody who's building a pu- public building, certainly from two thousand seven, two thousand eight on till now, is going to face controversy. True. Uh, so that's why I was very adamant earlier about saying we were only, and we'll pay back those municipal bonds. So uh the library did not intend to add to the public burden of tax debt uh and i that was a very and is very important to to convey uh but we did close a street we did build a public library in an age where people think that libraries may be obsolete so you have one had to be prepared to um, not face, or to face controversy with the idea of it's education that's needed. People are, people are worried about taxes, of course, we get that. So we had to say that we get it, we are not doing it long term, uh, anyway, I, I, and just look at it as a matter of education because there were certainly parts of this project that were controversial
0: certainly it, it was a long road for you um, personally as well as the library to get here this is a nine to ten year project yes. and as i mentioned i do not know real estate developers that would have had the appetite to take on this sort of complex and somewhat controversial not somewhat to certain people very controversial yes. pro- uh, project, because there are easier ways to make money this wouldn't have been done if this was a for-profit Situation or for profit development, you had almost every complexity that you can encounter in a real estate development. It took nine to ten years to do it. It was difficult to raise the funds. It was difficult to convince certain aspects of the public. But I think that what you've done is you've created a building that uh, will help the community. It will help the community's literacy. It will help the community's job prospects. It will help the community. Uh, feel proud of the community. and This is a community that needs something to be feel proud of. When, when they did the grander opening, one of the things I said as I gave a few remarks is that um, you, in this day and age is that you can make a person uh, feel happy, you can make a person feel sad, you can make a person feel angry, you can make a person feel all sorts of different emotions, but the most difficult thing it is to do is to make other people feel proud. And so, in order to feel proud, you have to become invested in something that makes you proud. And the, the things that make you proud are not easy. And so, with this building, I think you've, you've created something that made this community, and it's very easy to see on the, on the opening, and it's very easy to see in the community, you've made this community feel proud.
1: Well, thank you, Phil. But I also want to say that now we have two new for-profit um, Developments going in in the downtown. Uh, the library was the biggest foot traffic draw for the downtown, and I, you know, I do believe that that was an impetus to these two new multi-million dollar developments Absolutely. coming in two blocks from the library, right on the main street of town, is because they do see that there will be more more people coming downtown, et cetera. So you're right, that, that pride will jumpstart, I think, some of these two. And both of these are local developers that are doing big projects now in the downtown.
0: Are they commercial or are they commercial. residential?
1: Commercial. One is the corner of First and Lincoln Highway. Uh, they're tearing down all those buildings and building, uh, in fact, it was very, I I wondered it, that you had a program on um condominiums, commercial condominiums, right. but uh, but he's putting in um, a, mu- a multi-story building that will have uh, retail on the ground level and then con- two, two floors of condos on top. And then a few doors down, uh, we had a tech uh, startup that it has been very uh, successful out on Sycamore Road and it's moving to the downtown area now. Well, That's great. Yeah. And both of them are locally owned
0: well that is wonderful to hear and i think it's definitely a result of the uh, the, library the, the, expansion. Uh,
1: there may be more coming to in the future who knows but uh, I, I think it was the jump start
0: well shifting gears a little yes. bit this is the mother's day episode yes. so i just wanted to say that i'm also very proud of you for creating that library and creating something special in decalb and i also just think uh I wanted to know if you have any, sometimes on this podcast we give advice about careers and how to get into real estate, and I was just wondering if you had any advice on how to get back into the job force. Um, for those of you who don't know, which is probably 99% of the people listening, the other 1% being my dad, um, my mother was a stay-at-home mom for years while my dad was a professor, and then uh, in probably about 1996, 97, you decided to, rejoin the workforce. Mm -hmm. And so in 20 years, you had, uh, I mean, I think humility is one approach, is just to take any job you can get to get back into the workforce. I don't think it's a secret that it's difficult for women to re-enter the workforce after taking time off to raise children. It's a real problem, it's a real challenge that we have. And then within 20 years, you went from being a part-time, worker at the NIU bookstore to being the director of the DeKalb Public Library, who developed this great project, um, and was able to do all that, and I should mention, while you're doing all this project that took nine, ten years, you're also running the library, and right. you maintained four book clubs, and you probably read every book that came in during during that t- ten-year time. But um, you know, how was that transition for you, and do you have any advice for people trying to re enter the workforce? You, you
1: had somebody on your program talk about resumes or careers or something I like that. did,
0: Bob Kavoda. He,
1: he was terrific. And he said, You know, you don't get anywhere working 40 hours a week, and uh, nobody can outwork me. So uh, I always told my staff, and in fact it was, it got pretty funny actually for a while, when when we had, you know, we had books of plans, you know, thick books of plans. And uh, I'd have to say, I'm sorry, I have to just go stare at the plans for a while. Because, you know, I, you're not born knowing this stuff. So I would ha- actually have to just stare at them long enough and, you know, re- read every possible notation and, uh, and then ask people what it meant. So by the end, you know, I could look at a plan and say where the door was and, I mean, it became second nature. But uh, you do have, so uh, there's a lot to be said for just plain hard work, Phil. But also, as I told you the other day, while I was doing this, could I have done it earlier in my life? No, I had three children. I had a mother who needed help. I had a husband who was working very hard at his job. Uh, yes, we both worked hard but this job or the, this project involved 12, 15 hour days, seven days a week, often you know I swear for years at a time. And Gary, my husband Phil's father, was retired and he literally did everything and uh, I would call, when I was on my way home, so the cocktail shaker would be shaking cold as I I walked in the door. Yes, so I would be as I walked in the door.
0: Well, there's a couple lessons I I learned from you. I definitely have my work ethic from you. Um, I know that you do have to work hard, but I also have learned that ask questions when you don't know something. Absolutely. Too many people go through life trying to pretend that they know something uh, or that they know what words mean or terms mean, and they end up just being a disservice to themselves because they end up not learning.
1: Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, I had to learn so many words, and so I really I would take notes and on the side.
0: Take notes. Another take good notes. lesson for my life I would
1: write down the words. And, I mean, and some of the terms were amazingly beautiful. Be- between the voids means where the water runs through the gravel in the underground uh, Retention detention ponds. Isn't that that could be the name of a pond? Between the voids. Right,
0: right. Isn't that
1: great? Anyway, uh, so I would write down the, these terms. The, the architects and everybody would be talking about it, and I'd write down these terms, and then I'd go back to my office and get the dictionary out and look them up. And then I would be I would be able to not keep up. But the next meeting, when they were talking about it, I would at least. So you're right. Take notes. Do your homework. Uh, ask questions, uh, all of that. Uh, and it was a joy, a total joy to be surrounded by all these experts. People love sharing information. And I was a willing student. And, and uh, but, uh, you know, so I would ask questions, they would give me the answers, and sometimes I would have to ask the question the next time, too, because, you know, I couldn't keep it in my head. But, uh, yeah, all of that. Um, but I, I, I love learning, and this was a wonderful opportunity to every single week to be learning something new.
0: And also, I would say that you're also not afraid to do anything. That's and right. So, That's I think right. in any organization, um, you have to do every job, and you can't think yes. that you're above or some job is beneath you because if you learn how to do every job, then people will ask you right. for help, and eventually you will rise in the ranks of that position. I know yes. I've been at this firm for 12 years, and I've done every job. I've shredded the paper. I've gotten the coffee. I've answered the phones. You I've bet. done every job in the place. Mm-hmm. So I, I learned that from you. And It I, has
1: to be a team. Everybody has to work together for the good of whatever. The, but the, you, there, there should be a vision as to what you're all working for.
0: And then that's the last thing that I learned from you is you have to have a vision of what you're trying to accomplish and you were the one who had the vision for the library and when you're going through a rather challenging 2007 to 2010, yeah. um, you kept that vision because you knew it was best for the community and you kept pushing it forward and sometimes on a given day you have to work until you're exhausted you can't take it anymore and you think that the world's got you beat. And then. You go to sleep and you wake up and you keep pushing again That's the right. next day.
1: That's absolutely right. Absolutely right.
0: Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, I'm very you, proud Phil. of you and I love you.
1: And, and I probably won't be here next year because I won't. I won't be doing anything. I'm writing. Uh, people ask me what I'm doing, and I'm writing. I'm a great reader, um, but uh, I've never written anything creatively in my life. So I'm trying to do that, and I'm really bad at it. So. Um, I, I, have set, I have set myself a challenge. I mean, I look at some of this stuff that I've written since retirement, and I think, oh, my gosh, I wouldn't let anybody read that.
0: So, well, new challenge. Travel, spend some time with Dad. Yes. And uh, thank you for coming on the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. Thank you.
2: Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shank Annis Tepper-Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including, but not limited to, for use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.